Well, indeed, happy Dad's Day. It's good to see everyone here, especially you who are dads. I'm always mindful sometimes on Father's Day that the fathers get their wishes, right? And they just prefer to, well, maybe either just sleep in or go hang and do something else. But that you as dads are having uh, the prioritization of your family being here today, that's pretty sweet and cool. Now, I know some of you might have not come for any of this. You just came for the dad's root beers that we have for everybody afterwards. And uh, so they're chilling, and uh, we're going to uh, have a good time, a little fellowship afterwards. But uh, I would like to uh, lead us off this morning by just having a word of prayer. It's a joy to be able to come together and worship the Lord and right-center our lives. And even during worship, as, as we as a family join together and even a challenge with one of our special needs friends, uh, it's great to be a part of a church family that owns everyone together. So thank you for doing that. And I want us to just ask Jesus now through his spirit to impart his word to our hearts on this special day. Our Lord Jesus Christ, we come before you acknowledging that we are a needy people. Our very life is sustained by you every moment, every hour. Lord, we know that you can bring to us a calming effect. You can stir us up within You can give us wisdom and direction. You can comfort a brokenhearted individual. In all that ministry, Lord, we ask that you would carry forward in these next moments through your word. Jesus, we know that today, as with every day, can be a challenging day. But Lord, may this challenge of this day be met by the supreme power of your Holy Spirit active in our midst, in our personal lives and end our families. In your name, God's people said, amen. You know, I uh, am always uh, intrigued by uh, the challenges that God does give us in our individual lives during the course of a week, but also the challenges that we see at hand in our culture and our society because that presses against us. And um, I'm very mindful that when I come and I share with you that uh, there is an assumption that most of us, are Christ followers here this morning. Most of us have a uh, Christian ethic by which we're trying to live our lives. Most of us have what we've referred to or is referred to as a biblical worldview. And a biblical worldview we talked about uh, this past year in a series because uh, the biblical, uh, the worldview, as we said, makes a world of difference. How you view the world and what's the big picture, ultimate reality, is going to end up defining your values. And your values then define your behavior. And your behavior ends up, in many ways, determining whether or not there is joy in your life. Now, in a biblical worldview, wow, I got background noise. I, all kinds of fun curveballs today. Maybe that would help me preach better, guys. I don't know, Steve. What do you think? Were you saying something there? Like, get going? <laughs> Yeah, I don't know if you're hearing that online or not, but it's, it's been a fun day here. Um, but a biblical worldview is something that we would assume that we're trying to go after. But I came across a, a survey that was just done this past month concerning those who have a biblical worldview. The study was done by Family Research Council's Center for Biblical Worldview. It was a nationwide study. And they surveyed those who claimed they had a biblical worldview. 
And you know what they found out? That from those who claimed, this is not everybody, those who claimed they had a biblical worldview, only 51% actually believe what the Bible teaches. Now, if you're going to have a biblical worldview, or maybe you're an investigator today and you're seeking out to understand God and you're trying to put context to what kind of worldview you really have, maybe you have a, a naturalist worldview. Uh, we gave the Stephen Hawking's quote last week that basically said, you know, that our brains are like computers. Once they die, that's it. That's it. We're done, right? So maybe the naturalistic worldview is what you were formed in and you were brought up that this life is all there is. But a biblical worldview would say that there's something beyond this life. The biblical worldview would take the words of this Bible here and believe them to be true. Now, it's not that you don't have questions, you know, suck it up, just believe it, you know. Isn't that interesting, that guy that they say got swallowed by the whale this week? Did you see that? Some deep fisherman got swallowed by a whale, and he says he was whole mouth, he was in the whale, whole mouth for 30 seconds, and then he was puked out. And you thought the same thing I thought. It's like, well, that Jonah story about Jonah being swallowed, maybe, maybe that's not that far out, right? But we say that we believe the Bible to be true, all right? It doesn't mean that we don't have questions or skepticism and we wrestle with it, but a biblical worldview is taking this as truth. But even with people who say they have a biblical worldview, they're not taking this as truth. So these are some of the statistics that came out of that. 26% believe that the forms of wealth have been entrusted to them by God to manage for his purposes. Now, let me read that again. 26% believe that the forms of wealth have been entrusted to them by God to manage for his purposes. What does that mean? That means almost 75% don't have a clue or think about what you've been given in life has actually been given to you by God. 29% believe that the best indication of success is consistent obedience to God. That means almost 70% of people who say they have a biblical worldview don't believe that success is defined foremostly by obedience to God. 33% believe that human beings are born with a sinful nature can only be saved by Jesus Christ. Only 33% believe that, who believe they have a worldview. 47% believe that they will go to heaven when they die if they confess their sins and accept Jesus Christ as their Savior. That means that 53% that believe in a biblical worldview are confused on that point. 46% believe that it's important for their religious faith to influence every aspect of life. 49% say that the most probable source of moral instruction would be the Bible. To which I say, okay, 51% of you who believe in a biblical worldview, what is your source for moral instruction? And lastly, I found this one very interesting. 49% agree in reincarnation is a possibility after they die. I got a little bit of a ring up here, Steve. Friends, if you believe in the Bible, if you want to have a biblical worldview, I need to tell you that the Bible says it's appointed to man once to die and after that to judgment. You are not reincarnated. Now, why do I mention this? 
I mention this is because, well, it's disturbing as a pastor in one sense, right? You're like, man, are we getting anywhere or not? But it's indicative of the shift and the movement of our culture away from truly believing the Bible and having a worldview. And I want to challenge us this morning that we as people, and no matter what state, maybe you're a longtime follower of Jesus Christ, you have that relationship with him, you know what your destiny is in eternity, or you're just seeking out God and what kind of place, if God exists, would he have in my life? I want to exhort all of us this morning on Father's Day to let the scriptures speak into our life on a regular basis, but let it not only speak, but guide us in the pathway that we should go. There was a big change that happened in church history when the scriptures got printed so we could read them. Wycliffe, John Wycliffe was his name. It was seen as heresy to let a common ordinary person who would walk into a church or a, a cathedral kind of thing to be, actually be able to read the Bible. You needed the, the priest, you needed the, the religious clergy to be able to read and impart. But once the Bible got into the hands of the people, the Christian faith took off and some radical things began to happen. But one of the downsides of what happened is many times we look at the scriptures as something we control because we look over it and we can pick and choose. In the early days, in the days of Christ and the disciples, the word of God, the Hebrew scriptures, was spoken over the people. And when you speak scriptures over the people, then guess what? You sit under the scriptures and let it feed and instruct you. So the scriptures is speaking into your life in an authoritative way, not you standing over it and always controlling it and decide, oh, I think I'll go here. I think I'll do that today. So what I'd like to do, because we've been walking through this letter in 1 John, written by the apostle, 90-some years or whatever his age, and he was exhorting Christians of that day. He wrote this letter, and that letter wasn't photocopied with the, you know, um, the Xerox that was close to them. Didn't have it. That letter was written meticulously one to another, but it was taken and it was read in public areas like this. And they sat under the word and let the word speak into their life. I think one of the challenges of why we have 51% of people who say they have a biblical worldview but do not believe the Bible is they've not set under the instruction of the word. You're faithfully here seeking that instruction under the word. Not my teaching, not my preaching, but the instruction of God's word. And on this Father's Day, men, may you be fathers who let the word of God instruct your life so that you can impart it not only to your children, but impart it to those God's calling you to influence. So with that, Instead of us jumping up here on the screen and, oh, there it is, and maybe we look up to the Word, that kind of I want you to close your eyes. I want to read the section of Scripture that uh, we've been in last week and then where we're heading this week. And I want you to listen to the Word speak into your life. And may this 
enable you not only just to have a biblical worldview, but let the Bible instruct you. Sometimes I say put your palms up. Now that seems facetious. You don't have to do it. But you are positioning yourself before God to receive words from Him to you through the Apostle John who walked with Jesus. Here we go. 1 John chapter 2, verse 28. And now, dear, dear children, continue in Him, so that when He appears, we may be confident and unashamed before Him at His coming. If you know that He is righteous, you know that everyone who does what is right has been born of Him. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. All who have this hope in Him purify themselves, just as He is pure. Everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. But you know that He appeared so that He might take away our sins, and in Him is no sin. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. The one who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. The one who does what is sinful is of the devil. Because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's works. No one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in him. They cannot go on sinning because they have been born of God. This is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not God's child, nor is anyone who does not love their brother and sister. Amen. You know, there's certain weeks where I just think that's good. Thank you very much. Thank you for entertaining God's word and slip out. I trust that the word of God is instructing your life on a regular daily basis, whether you're reading it or maybe you're even listening to it that version app of the Bible, just put it on while you're driving to work. Let the Word of God instruct your life. May you have a biblical worldview that's formed, but do not disregard the teachings and the lifestyle the Word of God calls us to. Your worldview makes a world difference. It informs your values. Your values inform your behavior. And ultimately, your behavior and the worldview that you carry gives you the life that God desires for you to have. So with that, from 1 John 2, 28, I want us to 
reflect on where we were two weeks ago. And now, dear children, continue in him so that when he appears, we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. We said that a biblical worldview believes that Jesus Christ is coming back. He came the first time to deal with the sin issue. He's coming a second time to establish his reign in this world. And as a person who would believe in the Bible, then you need to understand that the Bible teaches belief in the second coming of Jesus Christ. And, and John anticipated that. And how does that change the trajectory of our life? If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who does what is right has been born of him. This verse that followed right on the heels of that is instructing us about what I really want to exhort us to here today. And that is we are called in our waiting on him to return to live righteous lives as he's called us to live them because he is righteous. I simply want to exhort us this way this morning. Upright parenting, I could have given a lot of how-tos for dads to parent, but here's my bottom line today, and I'll give it to you right away. Upright parenting is living, modeling, inspiring a righteous life. And that righteous life is the life of Christ himself, as we just read, the only true righteous one. You know, I found it interesting. I appreciate Dylan praying for us up here today and saying, you know, he didn't have a dad, right? But he had other people that godly influence in his life. And when we circled up and prayed as a worship team this morning early on, you know, Joe asked, you know, how many of you had father figures in your life that maybe weren't your own fathers? And so whatever camp you fall into, there is a great dearth of godly fathers today. And the only way that we have to be able, I believe, in many ways to heal our land, our nation, and the world is to restore healthy, godly families. And at the forefront of that is to have godly fathers in the home. But maybe you didn't have that, or maybe you struggle with that even here this morning. Well, we have that heavenly Father, God himself, who sent his Son to exemplify, to reveal to us the Heavenly Father and how Jesus treated and interacted with His disciples is how He wants to interact with you. And that Heavenly Father can be your Father. But then as you are a Father, you reflect His righteousness of who He is. And the most important thing, I've often said this, you've heard me say it before, the most important gift you have to give to the world is your intimacy with Jesus Christ. And I would say the most important thing you have to give as a father to your children, whether they're your immediate children, the little ones that are causing you a lot of havoc and craziness in your home, or maybe they're uh, teenagers or adult children, or maybe you're a grandparent and they're your grandkids, the most important thing you have to be able to give to them is to live before them an upright, godly, righteous life so that they can see the Father in heaven and know him. You have faults. I have faults. We stumble and fall. Any of you messed up this week? Wow, a perfect audience today. How about you online? Anybody messed up this week? I raise my hand. I mess up. I mess up in my, my attitudes and my actions, those kinds of things. But God understands that. And we're pursuing his righteousness. And we, as righteous people, not because we're perfect, but because of his righteousness living in us, have the opportunity to lead and to parent well. Upright parenting, living, modeling, and inspiring a righteous life. Is that true? 
He then goes in 1 John 3, 1, as we looked at last week, see what great love the Father has lavished on us. He's lavished this love on us so that we can lavish it on others, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. So don't get bothered by somebody who really has a naturalistic worldview or opposes you or has caused you problems this week. Part of the reason that there's that rough intersection is because they don't know Him. And if they would know Him, then they would understand and know you because of the family that you're a part of. Verse 2, dear friends, now we are children of God. What we will be has not yet been made known. That's definitely true. And then the verse I encouraged you to memorize last week, the phrase, but we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. We are between the first and the second coming. Now, that exhortation last week, which is to live a righteous life like we're talking about again this week, and that's the part that we're at in this letter, he then tags this immediately after in verse 3. All who have this hope of Jesus returning should purify themselves just as he is pure. And this is our task again today. Fathers, men, women, children, students, is that we are to purify ourselves with his uprightness and his righteousness. I... Uh, I had one of those challenging weeks. Actually, Melissa and I both had one of those challenging weeks in our household. Uh, our young adult son down here, Levi, had a challenging week. He took the brunt of it. But as I was preaching last week up here, I was very mindful that my wife was taking our 22-year-old uh, son with Down syndrome into uh, the ER. She was supposed to be staying in Indiana for an extra week of vacation with family, but uh, he... Levi had developed blood clotting in his arm. And there was seriousness to that fact, and so we knew that he needed to be flown back here to be with his doctors. And so he went into the ER. They immediately uh, started to deal with him and checking things out more. We knew he needed a procedure probably, and that happened. He went into ICU, and he pretty much camped out in the ICU all week, didn't you, Levi? He was a trooper. Six different rooms I think he was in, moving uh, through the course of different weeks, uh, five or six, and um, I found that uh, he handled it a lot better than we did in many ways. He just takes life as it comes. But there was a scary moment in the midst of the week where we thought that uh, with the blood thinners and some other procedures that were happening, uh, that he possibly had uh, a moment of a mini stroke. Well, that redefines your life pretty quick. Because you know life can change on a dime. And maybe you had things this week, and we had some other stuff. Even last night, uh, uh, late into the night, uh, some things came our way. And it's not just with family stuff. Sometimes it was church stuff. Some of that came my way this week. And you get anxious, and you go, oh, that's all nice what you want to preach on Sunday morning, Carrie, about living a righteous life and upright. But my goodness, I'm out of control inside right now. I'm scared. I'm fearful. I'm weary. I'm tired. I'm uncertain. Any of you in that camp today? Well, if you're in that camp today, you do need to breathe. But how you breathe is to breathe in the fresh awareness, awareness of Jesus' presence in that moment. And in that moment, the one who is righteous can enable you to live upright and stand strong in your own life. 
We do not know what comes at us as parents. We never know what an hour or a moment holds. Oh my goodness, what do we do at this moment? But the Lord's presence is in that moment, and you need to turn to that presence. And I ask each one of us as parents to live in the presence of the Lord. Because if you don't live in that presence, you will find it very difficult to be righteous and make the right decisions and live and model and inspire because you're going to be striving in your own human flesh and your own strength. I had to remind myself this week of my priorities. Sometimes maybe you've heard of these priorities before. The four P's. First of all, I'm a person. I have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Second of all, I'm a partner. I have a relationship with my spouse. Third, I'm a parent. I have a relationship with my children. And fourth, I'm a pastor. I have a relationship with the body of Christ. Those are the same priorities that you have. And then we add the fifth, whatever our career kind of thing may be, our responsibilities at work, I suppose, or our social networks. But it's one of those moments this week where I had to realign my priorities and say, Lord, help me to stand upright as a parent. Because there's a bunch of stuff. I just got back. I'm ready to go at stuff. There's some things. It's like, no. I need to attend to the presence of the Lord in my life. I need to attend to my wife. She did great, huh? You did great this week. And that one night that I slept in the ICU and oversaw things, I realized you are very much more gifted than I am in that medical world. (laughs) And the priority of my children, setting a bunch of other things aside. And then the priority of pastoring and shepherding and being a part of a body. You need to establish the right priorities, but priority number one is your relationship and practicing the presence of the Lord and aligning those things. Priority number two, your spouse, the best, you know, one of the best gifts you can give as well to your children is a healthy, healthy marriage. And then the children themselves. 1 John 3, 4 then goes on. Paul's exhorting them. Everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. But you know that he appeared so that he might take away sins, and in him is no sin. You know, I found it interesting. God bless um, the team that's leading in children's ministry today in their lesson. I walked in on them. I said, man, a great team here. I'm glad you're a servant. If you want to serve in children's ministry, let us know. Just know there are always more people that we can use. But the team that was serving in the elementary today, uh, I found it interesting because they were talking about the lesson. And, uh, and in the lesson, uh, they used the word about God can help us to some degree with our mistakes. And one of the individuals says, you know, I have a hard time with mistakes because the whole lesson... And, and we correct our lessons sometimes or add to them, is like they never use the word sin, mistakes. Now, I understand that because when you're trying to convey things to children, abstract ideas are very difficult. But mistakes you can point to, right? But this individual wanted to use the word sin. And I said, yeah, I'd use the word sin. I'm going to talk about sin up here today with the big people. Why? Because sin is part of the biblical worldview, There is sin going on in our world. There are challenges in your life. And it's coming not just by mistakes and by, oops. It's coming because of sin. And John exhorts them that sin is lawlessness. Lawlessness means a law unto yourself. You don't want to be under the authoritative word of God. I don't want God to be the Lord of my life. And we push back on that because of our sinful nature. And he's saying that everyone who sins, they do break the law because sin is lawlessness. But we know that when he comes again, when we see him face to face, 
things are going to change because he appeared the first time to deal with that sin and take away the sin in our life. And so if you want to live a righteous, upright parenting kind of life, then you need to be focused on understanding the issue of sin and dealing with sin. Jesus dealt with it so he could not only remove the penalty of sin, but also help you deal with the power of sin in your life. See, I could just have us all fill out a little card today and say, would you put the top three sins that you struggle with in your life and let's all turn that in and we'll give the tally next week. Like, oh, that's, that's pretty vulnerable. That's just stuff you do in small groups, right? Men's groups or women's groups or something, right? Well, God already knows. So we need to deal with it. And a biblical worldview, you need to understand how sin wreaks havoc in your life to keep you from that upright, righteous lifestyle. Billy Graham said this, We stand at the heart of a world revolution. Our world is on fire, and man without God cannot control the flames. The fires of greed, hate, and lust are sweeping uncontrollably around our globe. We live in the midst of crisis, danger, fear, and death. You know when Billy Graham said that? He actually spoke it to the National Council of Churches. It was like 50-some years ago he said that. What would he say today if he was alive today? We have a world that is ablaze, and it's ablaze with lawlessness. And sin is lawlessness. And it's all right to talk about it. Not just in church, but in your home, in your workplace. Why do we shy away? Oh, let's just use the word mistake. Oops. No, there's sin. And sin is breaking a lot of the havoc and difficulty in our world and in our life. 1 John 3, 6 then goes on. It says this, No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. Ooh. Did you feel that when you listen to the word? That's a pretty harsh word. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. Does that mean me? But I sin. I fall short a lot. I miss the mark is what sin is defined as uh, sometimes. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. I, I thought I know him. What's John saying here? He's talking about the disposition to live under a law unto yourself. God gave us the freedom of choice. That's how sin entered this world. But our free will led to an I will. I will do this, and I will do that, and I will do that. And that is lawlessness, and it comes from the adversaries we're going to see. And the adversary wants to wreak havoc in our life. And if you say you know Jesus, that you've come to God, that he's your heavenly father, then as a child of God, that's not to be your disposition. We don't go on sinning. We seek to allow his life to be lived through ours. Verse 7, dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. The one who does what is right is righteous, and he is righteous. But it equates the two, not the word and, 
but the word just. And there's a reason why the word just is there is because our righteousness comes from the only one who has ever been righteous. What's his name? Jesus. And his life within us enables us to live out that righteous life. But if your disposition is into sinning and a law unto yourself and, you know, um, the freedom of I get to do whatever I want rather than submitting to his will, then you're on a trajectory that calls into question whether you really do know Jesus. Because if Jesus is living in you, if you've invited him to come and dwell with your spirit and lead you, then there's going to be a different kind of trajectory. And Paul's exhorting them on, on this righteousness aspect. No one who does what is sinful, the one who does what is sinful, it says in verse 8, is of the devil. Because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared the first time was to destroy the works of the devil in the heart. He's going to appear again the second time and destroy him in the physical realm of which we know. But wait, 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 wait a second. Are you just like lock, stock, and barrel going to take that verse and believe it? How about you take that one to work tomorrow? Start talking about not the mistakes or a political divide or other kinds of issues that are going on socially or culturally in our world. But talk about the devil is at work. The devil. Oh, my goodness. Is there really a devil? Like an evil being that is behind a lot of the works that has set the world ablaze? Sin and anger and lust and rage? Yes, if you claim to have a biblical worldview, then you have to have the worldview that believes in a devil. God did not create a devil. He created beautiful angels. Scriptures seem to unpack and teach the beautiful archangel Lucifer, for whatever reason, thought he desired to be worshipped himself. And so he fell from heaven. And Scripture teaches that the devil is like a prowling lion, roaming, seeking to devour people. But it also teaches that the devil appears as an angel of light. He can be very deceptive. And here in this beautiful letter that John's just writing, Jesus is coming, isn't that great? Oh, wait a second. Sin is lawlessness. Righteousness comes from Christ. We will fully know it is appearing. And by the way, the one who does what is sinful is of the devil because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. Do not dismiss out of your worldview the operations of an active devil and his fallen angels, which are sometimes referred to as demonic spirits. The devil and his workers are wreaking havoc, sometimes behind the scenes, sometimes front and center on stage. And we as Christians need to have a healthy understanding of what's going on and then right-size how that affects our life and what's going on with us. There's a passage in Ephesians 2 that talks about what we're up against. It says, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who's now at 
work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath or God's judgment. Heavy verses there from the Apostle Paul. But Paul is exhorting us to be wise unto the devil's works. And the devil's works represent three personal battlefronts. I want to share these today because in a few weeks we're going to come back to this and reflect on it as it relates to some even deeper matters as it relates to the devil and his work. The personal battlefronts that you're up against, dads, this morning, you're up against this every day. Paul's saying you used to be in these ways, but these come at us because we are no longer submissive. We don't no, no longer need to be submissive to those. The first is the world. The ways of the world, the mindset around us. Could it be that that's one of the devil's works? The things that are propagated and taught and spoken and championed? The ways of the world. The cravings of our flesh, which refers to our sinful nature, that me, me, me stuff. You know, as a dad's day, you can acknowledge that from early on when the child says, mine, right? And is stubborn and all that kind of thing. There's a sinful nature that has taken uh, the freedom of will and made it my will, right? That's our fallen sinful nature. And then it said also in that passage we just read from Paul, the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who's now at work and those who are disobedient. And you're like, what? A little bit of a whiplash. Where'd that come from? I can appreciate the ways of the world and I can appreciate, you know, the flesh, the sinful nature. But you really think so, Paul? You think that there's a, 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 a ruler of the kingdom of the air, a spirit that can wreak direct attacks and havoc on people? Yes. And if you want to live a life blinder, blinded like this and not believe in these three battlefronts, then that's your choice. But if you want to have a biblical worldview and believe the teachings of the Bible, all the followers of Jesus, all those who wrote in Scripture, we're mindful of the personal battlefronts of the world, the flesh, and the devil. And friends, men, fathers, if you want to have upright parenting in your life and live, model, and inspire a righteous life, then you better be wise to who's trying to take you down. And he'll take you down with the mindsets of the world or what you think you rightfully should have or go by the way of this person or that person. He will take you down by just allowing you to feed that sinful nature. And sometimes he will try to take you down directly. This was one of those weeks, friends, where I had to acknowledge that something was going on, and I can't go into it, but I felt it, that he was trying to take me down directly. And he was trying to take my family down directly on some multiple different fronts, just not in my son's life that sits on this front row this morning. Do you acknowledge that, that you're in a battle? The victory's been won because of the cross, but there's the cleanup act going on right now. When Jesus returns, he'll do away completely with the works of the devil and establish his eternal realm. But we live in a time where we are up against three, three things. And when, Paul, and when John exhorted us to be wise and to the devil and the devil's works, do you know that Jesus, do you remember Jesus one time? He just referred to religious people, the Pharisees. You are of the devil. You're children of the devil. Like, what? 
And it's the mindset, it's the trajectory of how he works through us as human beings. And he was saying, be wise and be quickened in your spirit to the spiritual realm of what's happening. We renew our mind. That's how we deal with the world. As it says in Romans 12, 1 and 2, continually in him. We choose to live in the spirit, as it says in Galatians 5, 16 and 17, to combat the enemy front of the sinful nature in the flesh. And the scriptures teach us directly that the only way to deal with the direct attacks of the devil is to overcome the enemy by the authority of the finished work of Jesus Christ. We're going to be talking about that more in a couple weeks. But I wanted to sow those seeds here today because I believe it applies to your life and to my life as it calls us to live upright and godly lives because we are at war. 1 John 3, 9 then, he goes on and he says, No one who is born of God will continue to sin. Because God's seed remains in them, they cannot go on sinning. Because they have been born of God. Now this is a controversial verse. There are some people that actually believe you can get to a a quote-unquote state of perfection or sanctification whereby you no longer sin. And those are challenging people to be around sometimes. Because they're not acknowledging reality. Maybe they're redefining what sin is to be able to fall into that camp. But friends, we will fall and we will sin. It's not that we do not have temptations and we cannot sin. Christians can sin in all kinds of manners as surely as non-Christians can sin in them. But we have the power within us to stay clear from that sinning. And that's what he's saying. If you're born of God, you will not continue to sin. In that disposition, you have a new nature. And that new nature says, stop it. Don't go sinning that direction. Live for God because you have been born of God. You have a different nature. Remember, he's speaking this authoritative word to the children of God. 1 John's a letter to Christians. He's reminding them of the works of the devil and other things and and the issues of unrighteousness. But he pulls them into this understanding that you can't continue to live in that pattern of lifestyle on double-mindedness and sin if you really claim to be a child of God. And then verse 10, this is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not God's child, nor is anyone who does not love their brother and sister. Can't go much deeper and broader than that, really, as a summation of what he's trying to put forward to us. This whole issue of living a righteous life, upright parenting, It comes back to understanding who dwells within us and who we are. Are you a child of God or are you a child of the devil? Now, we would like to have three categories, wouldn't we? We think they're children of God or those saints, those people that are up there close to perfection. Man, I can't get that direction. And don't ever put me in that kind of category. I'm pointing to me right here as a pastor. And then there's the children of devil. Those are the really bad people like the the Hitlers and the Jimmy Hoffas and those kinds of individuals. And then there's a whole big category in the middle of, of people that, you know, we're trying. We're trying to work this out, make it happen. So there's really three categories of people. John didn't say three categories there. He only gave two. You're either a child of God or you're a child of the devil. And Jesus called Pharisees out and put them in the camp of the devil. What? Either that or we like one big camp. Everybody's okay. I'm okay. You're okay. And that's okay because everything's going to be okay in the end and we're all going to be with God. That is not a biblical worldview any more than reincarnation is a biblical worldview. A biblical worldview says there are children of God 
and there are children of the devil. That does not mean those who are fallen to the children of devil are evil people. Like I said, many times the devil's work appears as angels of light. It can often be good, but there's subtleness and there's difference. You've either decided to be in the camp of a child of God or you're in the camp of the devil's control. And so when he exhorts us, in this particular passage, it's for all of Christian life and it's all it's for all of us today. But I just want to reestablish then my exhortation to us today. Upright parenting is living, modeling, inspiring a righteous life as a child of God, not a child of the devil. And you do that by acknowledging that the one who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. This last week, I actually guess it's two weeks ago now, when we were in Nashville, Tennessee, enjoying a great conference with other Christians um, from around the world, literally. Um, there were other pastoral duties that I was carrying on and interacting, even though I was not present here in this valley. But I found it interesting, um, you know, as you journey as a pastor, people move. We've had a lot of people move in this church in the last year of COVID and transition in other ways. And part of that makes me sad because you're my friends. But if God calls you to move, transition, whatever it may be, then okay. I always, uh, sometimes one of the analogies is like we're, we're all in a big, uh, fun, canoeing, rapid trip with our kayaks, heading down a river, having an exciting, good old time. And we hit some, some uh, white water and that's fun and we know the big rapids are ahead of us. This is going to even be funner. And all of a sudden, the person just pulls up alongside of the river, and they decide that they're good. They're going to go get in another river, and, and that's okay if that's God's leading. But there's miss, and there's sadness in that type of change. Some of those people though, that move uh, actually move out of state, and, and you're like, well, I wonder what's going on with their life. And it was two weeks ago that I actually received contact from two different people in Nashville going, I saw posted on Facebook that you're in Nashville. Can I come and see and talk to you? One of those actually happened to be uh, an extended family uh, member that I think is just wanting to have encouragement and stay connected and all that, and that was good. And then another one was actually someone who used to attend this church here. And they'd moved to Tennessee. And they said, hey, I'm only 20 minutes away from the Opryland Hotel. Can we connect? And I said, sure. And we had breakfast one morning at a Bob Evans. And I sit, sat there and I heard his heart. And he was in a tough season of life. Him, his marriage, his family. And he had made some choices that were not very good. Choices that had caused damage and harm. He was, in one sense, living as a child of the devil, even though he was a child of God. And... As he unpacked that, I tried to encourage him, um, and I saw a repentant spirit, I believed in him at that time, uh, that he, he just needed to keep on doing that, that, to repent and to turn. It's like, you know, you're heading down the highway, right, and you got a place to go, and all of a sudden you miss your exit. Do you keep on going and going and going in the wrong direction, or do you get off the next exit, turn around, and get the vehicle, the rig, moving back the other way? That's what repentance is. You have a change of direction. Okay, 
So if you feel like you're underneath the throes of the devil's work today or you're struggling, maybe part of what you need to do is some repentance concerning the sin that's happened in your life. And whether it comes from the world, the flesh, or the devil himself, you're responsible for your sin. Sin is lawlessness. Righteousness has nothing to do with sin. And so you need to come to this state of repentance. And so as we're unpacking his story and trying to encourage him, I see that there's a genuine state of repentance in his heart, and I'm encouraged by that. And I say, you keep that thing turned around, and you head the other direction, and you run towards God as a child of God. But then I was mindful of something in this exhortation, because it's true with all of us, and I felt it would be true particularly for him, is that this is not about you working and sweating and trying to do better about living a a new and improved life. You need to grab a hold of a rich, powerful truth. And that is that it's not a new and improved life, but it's a replaced life that is your hope. Christ in you, the hope of glory, Scriptures teach. And so for us to have upright parenting, and to live, to model, to inspire a righteous life. It's the one who is righteous that we have to acknowledge dwells within us. Not an improved life, but a replaced life. The life of Jesus Christ himself. So in this moment, even in my own life this week, it was, oh my goodness, what do I do? Practice the presence of the Lord, not just beside me, but within me. He's not just sitting there in the ICU room with me or traveling in my car back and forth to Riverside. Jesus dwells within me. You are the righteous one. You can live through me. Will you please help me respond well as a dad and a husband today? I don't always respond well. Sometimes I get there pretty decent. But if you're needing help and hope today, your hope is in the Lord. It's not about striving to do better. It's about yielding to the one who dwells within you if you are a child of God. Even if you're acting like a child of the devil, repent and allow the one who is righteous to live his righteous life within you. Let him speak to your inner ear through the written word, through the counsel of others. But you will do well this week. From Father's Day forward, men, you will do well if you yield to the one who is fully righteous in your life and let his life live through you. Listen to the voice, be obedient to it, and act. Act on behalf of the priority of your own personal life to have intimacy with him, Act on behalf of your partner, your spouse, and act on behalf of your children because they need dads who live the life of Jesus. Not a new and improved life, but a replaced life. Will you pray with me? Lord, this morning here, both here in house and online, we ask through your spirit that you would fill us anew with your power and your strength. May we yield May we take that freedom of choice that you've given us and not allow it to be a choice of personal self-centeredness, but one that is yielded to you. Lord, may we lay down our agendas. May your agenda consume us. May you, the righteous one, live your righteous lives through us for the sake of others, for the sake of our homes, for the sake of a world that is ablaze.